I have a question for you, and I hope that you'll respond by showing your hands, knowing that there's not a wrong answer to this question, and it's not disloyal if the answer to the question is yes. How many of you have ever read a scripture passage that absolutely horrified you other than the passage about the, the passion of Christ? How many of you get horrified when you read about eyes being gouged out and gang rapes happening? And do you ever struggle with trying to figure out how a book inspired by God can contain such terrible tales? Well, if, if you answer that question, yes, you're not alone, because I struggle with that too. When I was in seminary, I took uh, a class on the Old Testament, and one of the requirements for the course was to pray through all of the Psalms and then write a short reflection paper about what I learned or what that was like and whether that would become a permanent practice in our lives. And, and I wrote to the, to the instructor that I enjoyed praying through the Psalms and it was useful, but that I would never, ever pray through Psalm 137, where the psalmist who um, was lamenting the state of Israel after it had been conquered, was speaking of his enemies, Babylon, and said these words, Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. I mean, I'm not going to pray that. And I really don't think God expects you to pray that too, because that doesn't reconcile with what we've learned from Jesus about loving our enemies. But how do we reconcile those passages that are so difficult? Well, first thing we do is we realize that they're there because they have important lessons to teach us. And the first and foremost thing about, about those passages is that we, we shouldn't avoid them because they do have something to teach us. And they provide us with bad examples that we should not follow. And it's always the people who behave badly, not God. And so today, um, we're going to talk about one of those tough passages. I heard a message preached about it when I was up in Pennsylvania, and I was just horrified when the text was announced and read out loud, and I thought, well, what is, this, what is he going to say about that? And I haven't been able to get that passage out of my head since the middle of August, and so here we are today, um, and I'd like to share it with you because there's an incredible lesson in this passage from the book of Judges. But before we get there, we need to go back a little bit to the book of Joshua, to a time when Moses had died and Joshua led the people, and the people prospered. They moved into the promised land. They defeated their enemies. They turned to God and follow, followed God's lead. It was a good time to be Israel. And there's a brief passage in Joshua chapter 21 that describes this time for us to set the stage. He said, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had solemnly promised their ancestors. None of their enemies could stand against them, for the Lord helped them conquer all their enemies. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. 
And before Joshua died, he reminded the people of that life they were living, how God had been faithful and fulfilled all of his promises to Israel. He reminded the people that they should never turn away from God, and he uttered those words that we've heard so often where he said, but as for me and my family, we will follow the Lord. So things were good, but then Joshua died, and wouldn't you know, the people forgot all God had done for them and the warning that Joshua had issued to them. And that leads us to the book of Judges. Now, the book of Judges um, tells a series of stories about leaders called Judges who led Israel in the wake of Moses' death and then Joshua's death. In the early chapters, there's some stories I really like. I love the story of Deborah. I was so relieved when they, I finally reached a place in the Bible where there was a strong woman character who wasn't afraid to lead. I thought, well, my goodness, there might be hope for me. And I was very glad that my stepdaughter, my middle stepdaughter's name was Deborah. She's kind of like that Deborah. But as the book progresses, the people turn away from God. They begin to worship pagan gods. The leaders become less and less faithful and more and more self-centered. And the different tribes of Israel begin to fight among themselves, killing one another at times. God was so disgusted with all of this, so angry that he actually allowed the Ammonites and the Philistines to take back some of the lands from Israel after battles. Israel lost some of its ground. And when that happened, in chapter 10 of the book of Judges, people didn't turn to God and say, well, send us a leader, anoint a leader for us, God. What they said was, we will allow the next warrior who comes along and who will battle against the Ammonites to be our leader. Well, lo and behold, there was a man named Jephthah. He was a great, great warrior. But he had a giant chip on his shoulder. He was kind of mad at the world because he was one of many of his father's sons, but he was disinherited and cast out of the family because his mother, unlike his brother's mothers, was a prostitute. So he was angry, he felt disrespected, and the leaders wanted him to lead Israel to defeat the Ammonites, and he said, why, why should I do that? You know, you've thrown me out, and basically... Uh, they said, listen, if, if you will do this, if you will lead us and retake our land, we will make you our leader. So he got into this negotiation with Israel's leaders, and they decided he would be the next leader of Israel. And they never inquired of God about it at all. So the first thing that Jephthah did was he began to negotiate with the king of the Ammonites. He reminded them of all the things that had happened and asked them to give the land back. And basically, the king of the Ammonites just laughed at him. And so these are the words that Jephthah spoke to that king. He said, let the Lord who is judge decide today which of us is right, Israel or Ammon. Then he went to battle against them. And this language is really important. Let the Lord who is judge decide because it casts this battle kind of like a court case with God as the judge and the two party are the litigants fighting against each other. And there was a lot that the Bible had to say about the courts and how they should work. It's legal language. And it's language that on first blush seems really good because it recognizes God's power, authority, and sovereignty over 
the things that happen in life. But Jephthah, as we will soon learn, does not really trust God. He does not really have faith that God will be fair or just. So here's how the tragic tale of Jephthah and his only daughter unfolds. This is from Judges chapter 11. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead, and from there he led an army against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, If you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory. He crushed the Ammonites. In this way, Israel defeated the Ammonites. When Jephthah returned home to Mizpah, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out, you have completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster on me, for I have made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. And she said, Father, if you have made a vow to the Lord, you must do to me what you have vowed, for the Lord has given you a great victory over your enemies, the Ammonites. But first, let me do this one thing. Let me go up and roam in the hills and weep with my friends for two months, because I will die a virgin. You may go, Jephthah said. And he sent her away for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never have children. When she returned home, her father kept the vow he had made, and she died a virgin. Doesn't get much worse than that, does it? Can you imagine? The story of Jephthah and his daughter is terrible and tragic. And I'm not going to try to explain why God let this happen, because that makes it sound like I'm blaming God, and I don't. The Bible is full of terrible stories where people do wrong things when they turn away from God, and God leaves them to their own devices. And that still happens today. You see, God endowed us with free will because God doesn't want to coerce our love. He wants us to love and follow freely of our own free will. And so... God didn't save Jephthah. God didn't kill his daughter. Jephthah did. God didn't make Jephthah make a foolish, ridiculous promise. Jephthah did that all on his own. Jephthah committed some terrible sins born of ignorance and pride. And God doesn't always prevent us from doing that. God doesn't prevent us when we're prideful, shameful, sinful people. But when we sin, God always hopes we will turn back, repent of our sins, and become changed people. And that offers out there every single day. So let's take a look at Jephthah's, Jephthah's sins and errors in hopes that we can learn from them. First, he attempted to bargain with God through a prayer. And a prayer that's offering God a bargain is always a wrongly motivated prayer. And we've all prayed them at one time or another. God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. Hopefully it's not a prayer with a vow 
quite as terrible as Jephthah's. But here it was worse. It was a bribe. It was a bribe. Remember what Jephthah had said about God being the judge? Well, in Mosaic law, the law that God handed down to Moses, it was forbidden to try to bribe judges. Judges were supposed to be fair and just to all people. This shows us that Jephthah didn't understand God's character, not in the least, that Jephthah was really disrespectful to God in trying to bribe him, and it proved one of two things. Either Jephthah's parents had never taught him about God's law, or Jephthah simply didn't care. Once Jephthah defeated the Ammonites, he continued to make an error, and the one that, the one that really grinds on me, that bothers me, was when his daughter comes running out of the house singing and playing the tambourine, and he blames her for his anguish. Oh, my daughter, you have completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster on me. What? Who brought, who brought disaster on whom here? It was Jephthah's daughter who would be the victim. She was the one who would be harmed because of her father's prideful stupidity. But then he continued to make an error by doing the very thing that his enemies, the Ammonites, did, and that was by sacrificing his daughter. The Ammonites used to sacrifice children to their god, Molech, and God made clear, again, in Levitical law, that that was absolutely abhorrent and that people shouldn't do that. And last but not least, Jephthah's pride kept him from turning to God, admitting his error, and asking for a different way to solve the problem. Let's imagine that instead of sacrificing his daughter, Jephthah had turned to God and offered a prayer that went something like this. O oh Lord our God, I have sinned greatly and I beg your forgiveness. I made a foolish promise to gain your favor and now I must either sacrifice my daughter or break the vow I made to you. God, I cannot let my daughter pay for my sins. I beg of you, do with me what seems right and just. I humble myself before you and ask your forgiveness, but I will sin in an even worse way if I murder my daughter. Lord, have mercy on me and on my child. Amen. How do you think God would have responded to that prayer? I think Jephthah would have paid a price for breaking his vow because in the culture we find in biblical times, a family's honor was partially dependent on keeping one's vows. So he would have dishonored himself and his family. He probably would, have, would not have been allowed to continue being a leader of Israel. And those consequences would have been just. But what happened to his daughter was not just. I personally believe that God would have preferred Jephthah to pray that prayer than to do what he did. Why do I believe that? Well, because I live several thousand years later, and I know a little more about the end of the story. I believe that because I know that God shows us love and mercy out of grace and grace alone. I know that God looks at us and sees righteous people, but it's not righteousness we earned. It's righteousness that Jesus earned for us. 
And God is willing to see that in us because of what Jesus did, not because of what we do for God. Like Jephthah's daughter, our children and our grandchildren can be harmed by our sins. We need to spend time studying the scriptures and understanding what they really say and what they mean. And then we need to teach our children those things so that when they grow up and their parents, they won't make the kind of errors that Jephthah made. How might this story have been different if Jephthah had been raised to know all of the law that God handed down to Moses? How might the story have ended differently if Jephthah had respected the fact that God did not approve of bribing judges or of murdering children? Here's the thing, friends. We need to learn from Jephthah. But unlike Jephthah, we know Jesus. We know that he redeems the lost. But what I really want you to remember today is that Jephthah's daughter's story doesn't end in chapter 11 of the book of Judges. It doesn't end till hundreds of years later and many, many dozens of chapters later in this good book that was indeed inspired by God. It ends when a man named Jesus went to a cross and when two days later, some women and some of his disciples went to the tomb and found it empty. That's when Jephthah's daughter's story ends. You, was sang, you sang a song earlier today. We sang it together about the God of Jacob and the God of Moses and the God of Mary. Well, that same God is the God of Jephthah's daughter. And so we need to read to the end of the book. We need to not stop in the middle and let us know how God finished the story that Jephthah started. We find a passage in Revelations, and it, it says something like this. It says that God will come down and live among his people and be their God. And there will be no more death and no more tears and no more crying and no more pain. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes, including all those tears that Jephthah's daughter wept. Friends, that's the end of the story. In a few minutes, we are going to celebrate communion together. And as part of the liturgy, there's, there's some words that say that Christ will come in final victory and will share in his heavenly banquet. And when that day comes for us, I want you to look around the table, because it's going to be a really big table. And one of the people who's sitting at that table is going to be Jephthah's daughter. Unless, of course, she's playing her tambourine and dancing for joy. My prayer today is that God will let it be so. Amen?